Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Hey, I'll bet you were looking for Steinberg and Vietney. Well, guess what? You got me instead. Who am me? My name is Don Ecker, and this is a very special crossover episode of not only the Paracast, but UFOs Tonight. No, wait a minute. That show was canceled. Strange Days. Oh, that one was canceled, too. Oh, yeah. Dark Matters Radio. Hey, do you go to the Paracast? You must, because this is where you hear the show. Well, then you know that Gene Steinberg and David Biedney allowed me to take a forum over where I've been uploading previous episodes of all those former radio programs I've done in the past. Well, I made a suggestion to Gene and David. I said, wouldn't it be kind of a kick if the worm turned and suddenly you guys were the ones on the hot seat? You've got a reputation, guys. You put people on the hot seat. You make them accountable. Well, what if? And you know, they both said, hey, you know what, Ecker? That might not be a bad idea. So, ergo, here we are. So allow me to welcome to this special crossover episode. And notice I said crossover, not cross-dressing, episode of Dark Matters Radio and the Paracast. Gene and David, welcome. Speak Hi. for yourself. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Is Billy like, going to do that stupid I like. I like the lights in the sky when they move. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm Godzilla. I'm Godzilla. I like the lights when they move because I'm Godzilla. Okay, mm, no Godzilla, way. no count. Wait mm, a minute, guys. Tonto, not this, like Godzilla. This yeah, is going to be. This is going to be at least... Initially, the start is going to be serious. Now, all right. you guys have been doing the Paracast going all the way back to February of 2006. Now, that's a pretty damned good run. Gene? Are we, are we done? Is that it? Is it the run over? It sounds like a Gene? eulogy. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. Is this a eulogy or something? I mean, no, we, no. we had a eulogy for Richard Hall, one for John Keel. I can see I've got to crack the whip. No, you guys have been doing it since 2006. Indeed. You've had a hell of a run-up to this point. Now, you've got a reputation, Gene, especially David, for really brooking no time with the questionable stories, and I'm trying to keep this clean. But we're going to start out with this. I went back and looked at some of your previous shows and some of your previous guests. Now, I'm going to give you some names, and I'm sure you guys are going to start vomiting. But can we just have pus come out of our brains? It's a little bit safer. You can do that if you want. Not quite as messy. All right, that's right, that's right. May 23rd, 2006, Sean David Morton was a guest on the Paracast. June 20th, 2006, 
David Sarita was a guest on the Paracast. <laughs> June 27, 2006, Michael Horn of Billy Meyer fame was a guest. And you must have loved him so much because you brought him back July the 11th, 2006. Now, would you guys have any of those people on the show today? Well, now, here's the thing. Uh, Morton tried to come back on the show. Remember, Gene, he contacted us and he wanted to come back on to talk about the Phoenix Lights because he claimed to break that story. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I do. He claimed everything. I mean, he claimed to yeah. be friends with Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame. And if you check with the family of Gene Roddenberry, they say, who? Now, uh, I, I knew some of the writers that knew Gene Roddenberry very well. Now, of course, Gene Roddenberry has been dead since about, what, 1991. What was his connection to Roddenberry? None. None. He basically claimed that he gave Roddenberry story ideas and that he was a buddy of his, blah, blah, blah. Just crap. And, and you know what, guys, guys, just be before we continue, I think for the sake of this show, we should consider putting on the explicit tag. Okay? Really. Why not? Most of the people who listen to this show and most of the people who listen to your stuff, Don, they're adults. So why don't we... We've done this in the past. We've basically slapped an explicit tag on it so we can speak openly and freely. Why excuse me. Excuse me. We need the sound of a tag. We have to slap it. Just a minute. One, two, three. Not loud enough. Can we do it a little bit louder? David, go ahead. How's that? Don, you try it. <laughs> that, that sounds like something else, Don. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's not an explicit tag, I'll tell you. It sounds like pus is coming out of your brain. Oh, no, that's not what I was thinking, but no. Um, listen, Morton has shown in an absolute fashion that he's absolutely full of shit. Period. I mean, our buddy Royce Myers has done the, the best expose on that guy that anybody could ever hope to do. Went and did all of the hard work in researching that guy's background, his reality, dug up stuff well, that is so heinous. He ended up in court. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just heinous stuff. Morton is the worst of the worst, especially because when he was on the show, at one point I said to Gene during the episode, Gee, this guy is a really interesting guy. Something along those lines. He's he's a consummate bullshit artist and smooth talker. Worthless. Look, worthless. Look, you, you guys, starting back in 2006, now both of you have very well-known professional lives outside of the Paracast and Paranormal Subjects. Gene, you're very, very well-known in the Mac world. You've been uh, a Mac advocate for God knows how long. I guess 393 years, when Steve Jobs wasn't even a glimmer in his father's eye. I there was you thinking, go. Mac, Mac. <laughs> David, you are a well-known guru when it comes to Photoshop, photography, image, uh, manipulation. I mean, now, here we all are in an area that is dominated by a subject matter that most people anyway consider to be absolutely ludicrous and out there. In other mm -hmm. words, crap. Right. How did you two guys come together and forge this relationship where you now have one of the most talked about paranormal broadcasts presently anywhere around the U.S. at least today. Well, David, you start. So it's kind of weird because I've been 
showing up on Gene's technology show for a while, right? Gene, it was like a year or maybe even more. Oh, yes. You came on every month or two for a segment that we call the David Bietney Zone. And that was kind of something I dreamed up in a fit of madness, utter madness. So I basically created this theme song where I fit the introduction to the original Superman TV series from 1951 with the Twilight Zone theme, and then David added some kind of voiceover. Yeah, but I, I've been doing uh, appearances, I think, on Sean King's Mac show, and um, I've been doing a thing, I think it was called Under the Radar for his show. And uh, the thing is, I really did not talk about any of the paranormal realities of my life in any kind of a public way. I, the people closest to me knew that there were some things going on. My, I had a former assistant back in California who was with me for, for over six years, and uh, we were very close friends. And he actually uh, started to see what was going on around my strange little world, and including stuff I just I don't talk about on the show at all. I mean, there's a whole side of my my life, the paranormal side of my life. Some of it I've revealed on the show. In fact, it's funny. There's a thread right now, probably weeks after we actually run this episode. There's a thread that got reactivated all of a sudden about why I don't talk about more of my stuff and. Uh, the thing is, I, I'm not really necessarily at the point where I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I mean, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really talk about much of this stuff at all with anybody outside of my closest circle of friends. And, and if even most of my, my closest friends, this stuff just didn't come up. My life well, did not. David, David, you, yeah. you and I have had a number of private telephone conversations mm-hmm. over the last year or so. Yeah. And in those conversations, of course, we discussed many things, and only very briefly did you ever indicate that you had some things happen to you that you then said you weren't really comfortable talking about. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, the Paracast and the Paracast Forum is an area where people from literally all over the world come in and they discuss cases, they discuss personal experiences. Is it simply because you personally are a very private person, or are there some things involved with your situation that you just simply refuse to talk about in a public forum because of embarrassment or whatever? Well, I see what the response has been to some of the stuff I've talked about. I mean, I, uh, early on in the history of the show, my brother came on and, and we talked about a, a massive scale UFO sighting that we both were part of in Caracas, Venezuela in July of 1974. And there have been a number of people on the Internet that have claimed that I'm making this up. Uh, Horn came on the forums and claimed that I invented this episode in order to, to garner support for a UFO cult. Can you say projection? Uh, so, I'm, you know, I, I and I called them out on on these forums. I mean, when people talk about Horn, it's like just go look at the thread involving his appearances on the show and what came out there. The guy is a compulsive liar, and we caught him red-handed in more than one of these lies. But he he claimed that basically that I was making all of this stuff up for attention. Now, now here's the thing about that: clearly, there are a number of people who are involved in this field. That are, that are doing what they do because they're desperate for some attention. Everybody wants their 15 minutes. Now, in the world of multimedia, 
in the world of digital imagery. And, you know, when I bring this up, this is the other thing about this. I've talked about this stuff, and there are people on the web that will attack me for constantly mentioning that this is my reality, that this is my professional background. The thing is, I, I hear that, and I think, well, you know, I'm not, I don't have to make this stuff up. This is my professional background. What do you want from my life? This is the stuff I've done. I worked very hard for many years. You know, when, when, when Photoshop first appeared on the public scene, it, it had already been around for at least a year and a half. And I had been involved with it from the earliest days. I mean, there is literally stuff in Photoshop 1.0 that I spec'd. I mentioned in the documentation for Photoshop 1.0, I, I have a special thanks. There are like five people that have a thanks. I'm one of them in Photoshop 1.0. This is before there was a cast of thousands associated with the program. So, And the thing about that is that Photoshop was the fourth major computer graphics program that I had had very heavy involvement in. Uh, my, and this, that's how I ended up getting involved early with Photoshop. That's because, and I could go through the names, and, and people who are listening to the show, will, like their, their eyes will glaze over, because in many ways, I mean, I was sort of the institutional memory of two-dimensional computer graphics, specifically on the Mac, because that's where a lot of the earliest innovation happened. Right, It happened right. on now, the Mac. In this particular field of endeavor, which, of course, we're primarily talking about UFOs, one of the primary clues or one of the primary things that people have always been raving about are good photographic evidence. And, mm -hmm. of course, having somebody with your background realizing what can be done, especially today with manipulation on computers, would seem to me, and of course my background was as a police officer and, and detective, would seem to be paramount. Men, did you know your prostate can affect your quality of life? It can affect your urine flow and stream, and let's be honest, it might even affect intimacy. Don't ignore the importance of your prostate. So what do you do? Well, see your doctor for checkups, of course, and take Beta Prostate. Beta Prostate is a natural supplement that works with your body to support prostate health and normal urine flow. It's so powerful, you'd have to take 100 saw palmetto capsules in order to get the same natural plant sterols as one beta prostate. Try it risk-free for 30 days and give your prostate targeted nutrition. For a risk-free trial of beta prostate, call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Don't put off this important phone call. With Beta Prostate, your satisfaction is guaranteed or you get your money back. Call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hey, neighbors. As we said, this episode of the Paracast is being brought to you by audible.com. And you can download a free audiobook 
of your choice. And you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots, lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal, about UFOs, novels. You pick it, and when you get the book that you want, just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices. All right? You can download your free audiobook today, today at audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. This offer only good for USA listeners. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. I know you're asking, do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Do you, punk? And that was a very poor imitation of yeah. Clint Eastwood. But it was a good try, guys. Hey, we are back. And, David, we were, we were talking about Photoshop, your involvement so, right before we had to go to break. Did you have some more that you wanted to share? Well, I want to, I want to actually uh, answer the original question, which was how did how did you know then the Paracast sort of start? Because I, I had been showing up on Gene's tech show, and after taping one day, we were just talking, and, and I don't know, Gene, I don't really explicitly remember how the topic of UFO stuff. You? Well, I just think we were just talking. We were just shooting the breeze and just talking, and somehow. Something about UFOs or paranormal subjects came up, and we started to talk about it. And then we came to this mutual epiphany, maybe we should do a show about this. Or was well, it a mutual mental breakdown or something? I'm not well, sure. It, it was kind of like spur of the moment kind of thing. It wasn't really very well planned. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, at that point, this was not a topic that I dealt with in my life. I, I, I had a very busy personal life very busy professional life and this was not something that occupied any major amount of of my time it didn't I, I had sort of integrated my paranormal experiences into my life in a way that they were sort of a background task they they did not occupy my thoughts really very much well, you, you know what guys i have an admission that i want to make to both of you mm -hmm. when i was going back through the archives seeing how far back this went I discovered that I was one of your first guests, along with Ken Thomas, back in April of 2006. And even now, knowing that, and I listened to about five minutes of the show, I had absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. Hmm. So, <laughs> i got to tell you, <laughs> I don't know whether to attribute that to uh, my advancing age or what, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember that show. I'll tell you what, I don't remember a single episode. In fact, I'm not even 100% sure where I am. Oh, you're, you're here with us today, guys. Okay, well, that was Jesus. <laughs> well, and, you, and you brought up Ken Thomas, who apparently now hates my guts, because I just have that way with people. Yeah, he, and it's sad because, you know, I think Thomas and I would, in a normal setting, agree on a whole lot of stuff. 
But actually, I put down Timothy Leary, and he just he just couldn't get over that. He just flipped out because I don't think very highly of Timothy Leary, and well, I, I don't, don't. I don't think Ken Thomas hates my guts, but we clashed a number of times publicly on the Internet over Bill Cooper. He was kind of an apologist for William Cooper, and uh, I was just, basically, I was outraged knowing what a maniac and a moron Cooper was. And and the exposés I did on this guy, a number of exposés, and, you know, even today, if you're not sure who I'm talking about, there is a special two-hour retrospective up on the Dark Matters forum on the Paracast with a show I did explaining who this guy was and using his own words in his voice. This man was this man was dangerous, and now he's dead, yeah. killed by the police. Well, hopefully yeah. he's not still dangerous. Why was he well, dangerous? Actually, Seriously, Don, why was he dangerous? He was dangerous in a number of ways and in a number of areas. He was, number one, physically violent. The guy was a full-blown alcoholic. And on more than one occasion, especially at UFO conferences, he would get in confrontations with various researchers, and it literally came to blows. Later, after he burned all his bridges, as far as the UFO field was concerned, he moved into the Patriot Militia Movement, and he became one of the raging voices out on the fringe. And that was especially apparent during the Clinton years, back in the late 90s. And this guy was basically calling for, ultimately, an armed revolution. He ended up getting in a shootout. I mean, he was an advocate for firearms, personal firearms, and although I myself, I own firearms, I cannot fault the guy for that, but like any dangerous implement, you have to be willing to take full responsibility for your, your action with them, just like driving a car drunk. Uh, how many people today are still being killed by drunk drivers, people not taking responsibility for their actions? And this guy had a propensity to threaten people with with guns, and ultimately it led to an armed uh, confrontation with the police, and uh, he shot a police officer in the head, and he in turn was gunned down. So yeah, he was very damn dangerous for what it was worth. But anyway, Gene, I wanted to wanted to move on to you. Now you, on the other hand, as as opposed to David, you have a very long. Uh, representation in the field of UFOs going back to the 60s, perhaps even longer. Have you always had this interest? Well, in it goes to a long story. It's my brother's fault. Wally Herbert Steinberg, the late Wally Herbert Steinberg, who was one of the guiding lights behind the inventions of such products as Retin-A and Reach Toothbrushes. And I have a feeling he did this with a sardonic grin on his face because I think he occasionally liked to pull something on his kid brother. I was 11 years old, went to his apartment in Brooklyn, New York, on Carroll Street, if anyone remembers that place now. it's probably Oh, man. An I, I live, I live right near Carroll Street. Yeah, no, I know Carroll Street. Okay, an armed camp right now. So I went to the apartment. He hadn't come back yet. So his wife said, just sit down. He'll be here in a few minutes. And I see on his coffee table a copy of Flying Saucers from Outer Space by Major Donald Kehoe. 
Of all the books anybody could possibly get, why did he get that one? Well, it was there. I read it. And when he came home, I said, can I borrow this book? And he said, sure. And I did. And here we are, 493 years later, I was hooked. That was it. If there's any book that could hook somebody, if you're very uh, unknowledgeable on the on the topic, that's the one that can hook you. Keyhole was, I guess, in some retrospect, Gene, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, although I hold Keyhole in the very my very highest esteem, uh, he could be a little lurid with uh, some of his writing. Well, his experience was writing for men's magazines like True Magazine, so therefore he was a pulp writer. He took those skills and transferred it to his UFO writing. So it was also pulp writing. It was, a matter of fact, it read like pulp fiction. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Well, okay, now, since you guys have been doing this now, going over three years, and I guess you have... Over 100 shows in the can. It's like 170-something shows. It's close well, to 180 if you count the ones that are already recorded but not broadcast, 180. So you're fast approaching 200 programs in the can. Let's start with this question, and it's one that I genuinely have. Who would you, would you two agree on as your most memorable episode of the Paracast? In a good or bad way. In any way. Well, I'll tell you, from my point of view, uh, it would have to be Jacques Vallée, uh, because I was so thrilled that we were able to get him on the show. And it's it's one show that I did actually a bunch of prep for, and it's the one show I could say I was genuinely a little nervous when we did it. Why? Well, I mean, the guy basically has such a reputation, and I realized we were talking to somebody who was one of the, the true original thinkers in the field. It's just someone that, that I respected also because he had a lot of success in the high-tech industry. I'd actually looked him up. Oh, yeah. Looked up, yeah, looked up all the stuff he was doing in high-tech, and, uh, you know, this is a very smart man. You know, his reputation preceded him. And I, I just remember talking to his publisher and kind of getting the feedback from his publisher that, well, you know, Ballet doesn't do much radio at this point. It's not kind of not his thing. He had shown up on Coast to Coast, I think it was like that year, and you know, and Snorri just really screwed up the interview. It was just terrible, and I was really upset. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to reach out to Ballet. Is I thought, you know, a guy of that stature, I said to Gene, you know, if he comes on our show, we'll actually have a real conversation with him. Unlike the incredibly ridiculous questions that that Nori was asking, just terrible stuff. What a waste. And so um, when Valet agreed to come on the show, I was I was really sort of flabbergasted. And it's kind of sad because we ended up getting halfway through a second episode we did with him. And the recording got completely screwed up and shot. And uh, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, but we've not been able to connect with him to come back. And, and he said he would he would come back and redo that episode. It just hasn't happened uh, in terms of being memorable. That's like the one show that I was just like, it's the one that really sticks out in my memory, but maybe not for the reasons that other people would think that there would be memorable shows. Well, a little, just a very short little yeah. soliloquy about Valet. Now, of course, Vicky and I have known Valet 
for, well, going back almost to the beginning of, of UFO magazine. And I had reviewed one of his books. I believe it was Con- Confrontations. And I gave it a very good review in the pages of UFO magazine. But I chided Valet for dismissing the Roswell case. And that pissed him off. And he wrote like a two-page response <laughs> that we printed in the next edition of UFO magazine. And uh, then I called him up. I had his phone number. I called him up, and I tried to get him to come on UFOs tonight. And he gave me some lame excuse. But I, I put it down to that French prickliness, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, well, geez. yeah, I have, I have a very close French friend, so I, I kind of I sort of understand that. Um, you know, they have their own way in the they same don't. way that Americans have their own way. Well, you know, we're, right. we're known as being loud and obnoxious. And for the most part, that's true. And aren't um, you glad we are? <laughs> I don't know. I, actually, n- no, no. Actually, when I'm overseas, if I if I'm in a Spanish speaking country, I barely speak English. I like Ain't disguising no myself. Yo si hablo. Today, the great fear is Al-Qaeda. Americans across the nation fear another 9-11 type attack by fanatics using nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. Yet the little known fact is Al-Qaeda is practically an American intelligence creation. In the 1980s, we armed, trained, and supplied the very same people who today are going to destroy this country. The weapon that we pointed at the Soviet Union came back to haunt and hunt America. This is the story about another weapon that American intelligence procured in the fight against the communists. A biological weapon that turned itself against the very people who tried to harness and then use it. It escaped and now not only are the weapons handlers at risk, but every human being on the planet because the men in power forgot one very important fact. When you ask the double to dance, he always calls the tune. Past Sins, a novel of supernatural horror. Sometimes there really are scary things in the dark. Go to www.pastsins.net. Business travel is a profitability killer, you know that. So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service. With just a click, launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Never know what's going to happen next. Besame, besame hey. mucho. More off renditions from David Bietney. 
And we are back with Gene and David. Gene, how about you? What was one of your most memorable, let's say in a good way, one of your most memorable episodes that you participated in? Well, it's funny. There are several memorable episodes. One was having John Burroughs, a witness to the Rendlesham encounter, seated here not seven feet from me as we did this particular episode. turned out he lives about a half-hour drive from here. That was memorable because you're hearing this guy, in his own words, looking at the man sitting there right across from me, listening to the sincerity and the honesty in his presentation. Another one, maybe not so much a surprise, was the requiem or trashing or tribute to John A. Keel. And one of the reasons is that a lot of the people I've known for years got together and were involved in this episode, such as, of course, Jim Mosley and Tim Beckley and Brad Steiger, Lauren Coleman, Jerome Clark, and also Kurt Southerly, who was an old and dear friend of mine. I hadn't talked to him in maybe 20 years. And just having him on that episode was a special point of excitement for me. And as a matter of fact, he'll be back in a few weeks on the Paracast because we became friends. We reconnected again. And that was one of the things that was quite memorable for me. Well, you know, I was rather surprised, to be quite honest, at, you know, the people that were dissatisfied, if you will, with John Keel, especially with with Jerry Clark. Keel is really, if you get right down to it, one of the first people that reignited my interest in this subject back in about 1975 or 76 with the publication of his book, The Mothman Prophecies. And Keel was, if nothing else, a very original thinker. And I, I got to tell you, I was somewhat surprised because I thought the man was an exceptional writer. I've even heard people accuse him of fabricating some of the incidents he relayed in his books. And, and I, I quite honestly, I was at a loss to try to understand that. Do either of you have any insight? I don't think he necessarily fabricated anything. I think the issue might be that maybe his research was sloppy because anybody who really tried to follow his footsteps in terms of research might find that he overlooked some things. And this is a couple of the issues that Jerome Clark had with him. That, you know, you may have some really good information in there, but you had to separate the wheat from the chaff. Well, now, it's not, it's not like that's unusual in this field now, is it? Uh, no. Well, you know, we, we caught a lot of grief for that episode. It was interesting. And my response to people was, look, we had on guys who knew him personally, and they were talking about a man that they knew personally. And so uh, I, I felt it was sort of difficult to, you know, contest or question what they were saying, because I've come to realize, certainly in, in getting to know some very public figures in a very personal way, not in, not in this field and outside of this field. I've, I've been friendly and friends with some people who are fairly well known. What you realize is that it, it's really true that people have a public persona. They have the, the image that their fans have of them. That's, that's one side of a, of a well-known person. And then there's the actual person that very often is very different from the public facade. And so... I think that's something that a lot of people have to have to realize. And I think that in the case of Keel, now, I, I only ever read the Mothman Prophecies a number of years ago, and I thought it was a really fascinating book. 
but certainly that that was really my only exposure to the man. And, and you know, it's funny because there were some people on the internets that took really strong offense at the show, and and somebody said, you know, Biedney hasn't read any of his books. Well, you know, and I, and I thought, well, no, I've read one book, but no, I don't. I don't spend my life wrapped up in this stuff to the extent where other people seem to. So no, I you know I I never read any of his uh, other works. I didn't feel like I could offer a real opinion about him. I mean, again, you, you had a bunch of guys that knew him personally, and, and and obviously it was it was sad that this man at the end of his life had pushed a number of his friends away, and I think that also yeah. colored what they were saying. But, yes. Well, you know, certainly if you're going I, to I, analyze a person's impact on a field, especially somebody as well known as John Keel. Would you rather have it be an ass-kissing session? What a great guy he was. We'll all deliver our eulogies and go away. Or would you rather know the truth? You're absolutely right, Gene. I mean, these are guys who knew him. You know, what were we supposed to do? Stop them and say, no, say only nice things about him. I didn't think that was our place in that episode, really. I didn't think so either. And I think the same thing held true when we did the episode about Richard Hall. We had to talk about the fact that this person certainly contributed a lot to the UFO field, but he was also fired from NICAP by Major Donald Kehoe for various yes. and sundry reasons. He was also someone who could never really get a long-term job through a lot of his life because of his association with UFOs. And that was very sad. He had a very sad ending because he died probably at the brink of poverty or well immersed in poverty. I was rather surprised about that, Gene. You know, it was me that brought up the fact that Kehoe had fired Dick Hull. Right. And, uh, you know, Jerry Jerry Clark, who is considered one of the, I guess, really, the great historians, I caught him fully by surprise. And I thought that uh, that was well-known knowledge, but apparently it wasn't, hmm. for what it's worth, whatever. Oh, sure. The point being that I think I personally would rather see an episode when you're doing that kind of show that focuses on a person honestly. I mean, not every bad thing a person does in their lives because we could all come up with a list. But, you know, evaluate in general what he meant to people who worked with him, who knew him, and about his contributions to the particular fields of expertise he was involved in. So exactly. it's better to have the honest appraisal. And that's what happened with Richard Hall. That's what happened with John Keel. And the fact of the matter is that, yes, Keel basically pushed away his friends, and that's very sad. On the flip side of the coin, now you guys have had a number of very questionable people over the years appear on the Paracast. What was your, David, most memorable negative experience oh, on the Paracast? Wow. Gee, where to start? One that really sticks out just by the volume of bullshit emitting was Bruce Goldberg. The dentist who is the world's leading expert on time travelers. The guy could not stop spewing shit for the whole two hours. It was just nonsense, the whole thing. It was terrible. It, I thought to myself, well, this I, I wouldn't let this guy near me. I mean, he, he was, I, I think, he's a dentist, right, Gene? I forget Goldberg? what he really was, but I certainly think if he was a yeah. dentist and I had to have a tooth pulled or to have some work done... He would be the last person I would go to. Oh, he, he was terrible, just terrible, really bad. I mean, th there are some episodes where obviously things got heated. 
you know, the the infamous uh, horn episodes, which again, just a, a, a psycho psychopath, a compulsive liar, just spewing crap and constantly changing the goalpost and all the traditional kind of uh, techniques to sort of really obscure the point of the conversation. It's what he was doing. I mean, the, they weren't even shows as much as, as much as they were car crashes, just, just terrible stuff. Yeah, there's David, been a number I, of like that. Yeah. I was certain you were going to tell me the Nell show. Well, oh, Nell. well of course. There's the, 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 the <laughs> Bill Nell nightmare. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that one... You know what? I enjoyed that one because it felt really good to bring down a, a puppy thief. You know that guy is just a just a just a terrible human being, really, just a terrible person. And so to to bring him down, I didn't think that was. I thought that was a rather good show because he set himself up. He put his own foot in his own mouth. He hung himself with a piece of twine. The guy basically is his own worst enemy and. And another guy who just spews crap, just lie after lie after lie. And it amazes me that people like that can get through their lives. I don't understand how people like that like function in society. Because I guess at a certain well, they, point when you lie so much, you just... Don't. Well, yeah, but the guy has like 75 kids or something. I don't know, 775,000 children. And uh, I guess some of them are dog-human hybrids. It's very ugly, very ugly. Uh, oh, especially what he's done to the canine population of this world. I mean, and, I know. put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot tolerate <laughs> this guy. He is an insult oh. to humanity. He's an insult to dogs everywhere. Yeah. No, he, he's, a, he's a bad person, and he's a, he's a pirate. He's a thief. He's a criminal, a crook, a liar. And, boy, the stuff he came back to us with, these incredibly lame responses, you know, Telling him you're not in the database of the, you never appeared in the New York Times, you never appeared in the Wall Street Journal, your name has never been mentioned in New York. What do you have to say for that? Oh, I know, isn't that weird? No, it's fucked up. You're a liar. <laughs> die, die, you asshole, die. You know, just David, stuff like that. David, yeah. David. yeah. <laughs> please. What? No, this yeah. stuff. Well, see, but here's the thing, right? So I, I've gotten a lot of criticism, obviously, on this show because I'm someone who doesn't mince words. I'm not politically correct, and the thing is. And this is what I think people really need to understand about my attitude about this stuff. Being someone who has actually gone through some extremely weird experiences, I, I have a vested interest in wanting to talk about this stuff in a reasonable way. I really do. And I do take it personally when people come into this for whatever reasons they have and just totally they piss, they crap in the pool, they vomit in the pool. They, they just make it so that the whole realm of topics that we talk about on the show end up being so unreasonable for, for, for most people that the minute you talk, you know, you say the word UFO and instantly the attitudes of people go, uh-oh. And it's it's because of the garbage. It's because of the nonsense. I, I don't need to tell people who are listening to the show about the whole rigmarole with Michael Sala and the exopolitical idiots uh, screaming that Gene and I are doing uh, all of this damage to their cause and blah 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 and how how dare we are you know what we're called the new gatekeepers we are the well, gatekeepers you know, I, of ufology now this I is know, interesting so. here about this we have the lunatic fringe saying that the serious UFO researchers have not succeeded so therefore let's create a new lunatic fringe exopolitics 
to get something done. What they're going to get done is not what they expect, I unfortunately. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I personally would love to interview Michael Sala. I think it would behoove all of us to get Dr. Sala on the record, and if he would agree to appear to be interviewed, and I'm talking about in a very respectful manner. I'm not, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that ambush you. You know, I'll come at you head on and get him on the record on what exactly it was that he meant and what his criteria is for his quote-unquote brand of research. Now, that's me. That's Don Ecker speaking. I don't know about Gene Steinberg or David Biedney, but I would personally love to interview the men. I, I don't know that I could listen to that for the simple reason that my own filters at this point are, are clogged with crap, and, and to take on more crap, I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose there's an entertainment value to it that people might find. It is sort of entertaining at times to hear people just spew nonsense. Every now and then, like I said to Gene, every now and then we have to do a crucifixion episode, and that's fine. You know, you let people come on and spew their garbage and uh, ask them a few hard questions. I mean, there there is a purpose for that, but you can hear that stuff anywhere. I mean, if you go onto YouTube and type Sala's name, you can find all sorts of stuff. I mean, the guy, you know, has produced a lot of words. They don't really say much. I mean, he's admitted that he's done all of his research on the Internet. That's it. Yeah. The you know neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies, and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is one and one Internet. One and One Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on One and One Internet to get online and stay online. Right now, One and One Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, One and One Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. 
You never know what's going to happen next. We are back. And now I want to go to Mr. Gene Steinberg. Oh, I'm in trouble Gene? now. Excuse me. I think I have to go to the bathroom sometime. <laughs> um, you missed right. your chance, pal. This is this is the telling time. I'll tell what you something. You? Seriously, the water was turned off here. They're doing repairs. So I have no choice. I'm stuck here. <laughs> what about you, Gene? What is your personal most remembered negative experience? I think, well, I don't know if you call it a negative experience, but we had this lunatic named Eric Julian. Who, <coughs> you see what he does? He causes people to sneeze. You know, the name, it's like if you remember back in the movie Young Frankenstein, where every time they say Frau Blucher, and the horses, yeah, right, of course. Right, Blucher. It's, it's the same thing here when we talk about Eric Julian. You ever he think was, he had a voodoo, a voodoo doll, you pal? Oh, I just think he was somebody <laughs> who talked and talked and said absolutely nothing, but worse, wasn't aware that he was talking about absolutely nothing. You know, he's kind of into this exo-scientific kind of thing where he's going to tell us all about the great scientific advantages and developments of the ET population, but, you know, it's all nonsense. You know, what was it, about a year or so ago, right before you gentlemen invited me to come on the Paracast, just a week or so after Steve Bassett had been on your program, and I, as you know, and you, as a matter of fact, interviewed me back in 2007, when I left active research and severed my ties with UFO magazine, and you invited me to come on the show and discuss my 20 years in the UFO field. And to get myself somewhat refreshed and to bring me up to speed, I listened to a number of your episodes that you had done a few weeks previously to when I was coming on. And I heard Mr. Bassett state that basically credibility did not matter. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I about let out of my chair I could not believe my ears, and I'm not saying this for effect. All the years that I had spent in UFO research, and I had gone by a simple credo that I would treat this just as if I were still an active-duty police officer investigating a crime. And when he said credibility did not matter, i got to tell you, I just knew at that instant that this field had no hope, none whatsoever. Yeah. Now, yeah, to, 15, him to 15 years ago, 15 years ago, if somebody would have come to me, and they did, and said, Don, do you think that at some point the lid will finally come off this subject and the government will release what they know? I would say, absolutely. Today... If that same person came to me, I'd look them straight in the eye and say, no way in hell, pal, ever. The thing is, that's the thing. And this is the thing that all of the people who are entrenching themselves in this quote-unquote exopolitical group don't seem to realize is that uh, with what they're doing, with the way that they're absolutely just dragging any sense of reasonable discussion about this stuff through the mud, they are, they are really killing off 
any possibility that we're going to be able to find out anything from not and this is the thing you know this this topic is like this incredibly layered onion all right th- th- this idea that the government has to tell us what they know well when you say the government who exactly do you mean exactly yes right you have to start there it, it, you mean there's some secret group inside of the military that ha- that's sitting on some stuff you mean them they don't no. answer to the public no they, they don't it's they not don't, the this military is not some- number 1 all right I don't know who it is. Whoever it is, whoever's got some stuff, and and I I, I do believe, and I'll state this on the record. I, I think I've said this on the show before. I personally believe that there is some group of fill in the blank inside of this country that is sitting on some really interesting stuff. And and the reason I believe that, I'll be very specific about this. Hearing the testimony of people like Gordon Cooper, hearing that that he shot film. With the crew of a craft landing, I think, uh, uh, at, I think Edwards, it was at Air Edwards Air Force Base. Right. Yeah. That they took that film, right? You have one of uh, Bob Hastings' people, I forget, Jacobs, I think, the one where they had the footage of the UFO going around the dummy warhead, shooting with a laser, blasting out of the sky. That footage right. got taken away. Okay, credible people talking about credible cases where obviously there was some sort of hard evidence that was spirited away. All of that stuff had to go somewhere. All of that stuff had to end up in some place. And whoever's got access to that place, yes, they are setting on some knowledge. But when the exopolitical people attempt to take that kind of stuff and then draw some tenuous connection to free energy devices and reverse engineer technology, this is where, as, as a technologist, and that's the thing, that... I'm going to say, I've said it before, I'll say it again. What I do in my life, I'm a technologist. I'm not an imaging, I mean, I, I, you know, I do imaging, I do computer graphics, multimedia, all of that stuff, but I'm, I'm really a technologist. My father had a polyurethane factory, which I worked in as a teenager. My father uh, was an artist in Lucite. I, I grew up spending time in his workshop, dropping benzene all over my arms. I mean, I am like... <laughs> I'm going to be dying of cancer one day. If I don't die in a car crash, that's the deal. So basically, you become a superhero called Benzene Man. No, no, but, <laughs> no. Seriously, I, okay. you know, I, I, I have a lifetime of being immersed in digital uh, and analog and digital audio technology. Uh, you know, manufacturing stuff, plastics. This is like my life. I'm a technologist. I was editing audio tape on a on a manual splicing block with a little razor blade. I was doing that as a kid. This yeah, is me what too. I did. By the way, that's how I got into radio. I would come up with my own productions when I was a kid, yeah. and I would basically, of course, they didn't have necessarily editing blocks. We would buy these tiny little splicing assemblies you can buy for your home audio tape oh. recorder at the time. And yeah. then I got into radio after I worked with Jim Mosley at Saucer News. I worked in radio for about 10 years before I got into other things. And, of course, as I get older, what do I do? I'm back in radio again. There you go. You can't. Oh, you can't. Pulls you back in. Right. That so, and UFOs. So, but technology is what I'm about. I'm a technologist above everything else. And so when I hear stories about reverse-engineered technology coming out of the mouths of people who know diddly squat about the history of technology, the development process of technology, you know, the, the, the whole R&D cycle of how technology comes about, how it's produced. When I hear these people talking about reverse engineered stuff, 
it just sets it makes me crazy because they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I got I got to jump in here now. Yeah. As speaking about reverse technology. Now, Vicky and I were just prior to having to take business partners back in 1997. Okay, just prior to that. I of course knew who Bill Burns was. Did not at that time know Bill personally. But the book, The Day After Roswell, came out that he co-wrote along with Lieutenant Colonel Philip Corso. Now, i got to give you just a very little bit of background about Corso. Prior to that book, which for a while, Phil Corso, a household name, I knew who Colonel Corso was prior to the book, The Day After Roswell, coming out because... Corso had been an advocate and had testified before Congress, before the Senate, on issues relating to MIA POW people, uh, going all the way back to World War II. Uh, this government has a really shameful history when it comes to demanding accountability for all the people that we lost uh, in various wars going back to the Second World War, Korea, Vietnam, and more recently, of course, the Gulf War and, and uh, starting in 2003, that war. Although, thankfully, we, we haven't lost that many that we can't account for. But Corso was an advocate going in there, really raising some help about this. So I knew who Colonel Corso was. Now, when I got the book, I immediately read that book, and I got to tell you, I was very impressed. Now, was I around when Corso claimed that he had taken material from the locked cabinet at the Pentagon and fed it into American industry? No. Although, knowing who the man was, having communicated with him a bit prior to his death, and knowing the type of man that he was, I cannot, like so many people do, just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I have to believe that there was a core bit of truth in that man's story. I can't imagine that he made this whole thing up. Now, as far as when the book first was, was brought out, Strom Thurmond had the foreword in it. Now, later, of course, there was a big controversy about Senator Thurmond's introduction, that when he wrote it, it wasn't for this book, it was for another book. Quite frankly, that was crap. I know for a fact that Thurmond was aware of this book and what Corso had written in it. Now, what does all this mean in the, in the end game? Not a hell of a lot, because once again, we're talking about the UFO subject. Now, did Corso do what he said he did? Well, once again, I wasn't there, guys, and neither were you. But I, I've got to believe that there is a core of truth in this, uh, in this story that he told. I'd be interested in hearing well, your... Uh, well, let me throw feedback. out something here, having read the book, what, two, three years ago. And I don't know that I read it when it first came out, but I did read it two or three years ago. I actually bought a copy. I didn't write to Bill Burns and say, send me one. I bought the copy, the paperback edition. My impression is that it was heavily rewritten and maybe it had gone through several different levels of editing, as a result of which you don't know where 
the actual story begins and Corso's story ends because of the editing. And as a result of that, there, as you say, might be a core of truth there, and it probably is, but there's a little bit of fiction in there, too, and that's unfortunate. Guys, we're at a break time, so let's go ahead, take that break, and when we come back, another hour of this special crossover edition, Dark Matters Radio and the Paracast. Men, did you know your prostate can affect your quality of life? It can affect your urine flow and stream, and let's be honest, it might even affect intimacy. Don't ignore the importance of your prostate. So what do you do? Well, see your doctor for checkups, of course, and take Beta Prostate. Beta Prostate is a natural supplement that works with your body to support prostate health and normal urine flow. It's so powerful, you'd have to take 100 saw palmetto capsules in order to get the same natural plant sterols as one beta prostate. Try it risk-free for 30 days and give your prostate targeted nutrition. For a risk-free trial of beta prostate, call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Don't put off this important phone call. With Beta Prostate, your satisfaction is guaranteed or you get your money back. Call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. Okay, David, how about you? I I get the impression that you think that there is not much to the Corso story. Is that wrong, right, or what? I don't know. It's one of these things where I I read the Burns Corso book. I actually signed it out from the library like a couple of years ago, and I read it. And you never know what this stuff. There are some things that seem very interesting and compelling. There's some stuff that seems wholly unbelievable and, and a whole lot of stuff in between. I mean, the thing about Corso is that there's a bunch of interesting information about this guy that sort of supports that he was really plugged in. I mean, nobody can deny that. The guy was really plugged in. So, I mean, if he was making this story up, right, what was his impetus? I mean, he also said that he, like, single-handedly liberated, like, Italy or something. I don't know. So you hear this stuff and you sort of wonder. No, he was basically an intelligence officer. And... Hey, we're talking about back in the days, David, when we still knew how to win a war. And he went in there, and his job was to clean out the Nazis, the SS, and he ended up tangling with Russian NKVD people. And uh, back in those days, my friend, you just killed them. You didn't fool around. You didn't uh, read them their rights. Uh, you put a forty-five through their ear. And uh, that's the world that man came from. So, I mean, that may sound cold-blooded, it may sound vicious, but having myself been unfortunately involved in combat, it's not something that uh, is pleasant, and you do what you have to do. That guy, I will tell you now, I know the type. He did what he had to do. And when it came to this business, I'll tell you what really resonated with me when he was talking about Project Horizon. And, of course, you, you both know that I've been very deeply involved in lunar phenomena research. Yeah. And he was talking about 
One of the things that they were talking about doing back in the late 50s, very early 60s, was putting a manned outpost on the moon. And this was a Pentagon plan, not a NASA plan. As a matter of fact, NASA was so new, they haven't even taken the wrapping paper off NASA yet. And the bottom line was, according to Corso, now this is the part that gets a little dodgy. They felt that the UFO presence, the extraterrestrial presence, was potentially hostile. And there were things that certain people were very concerned about, including the thing that I cut my teeth on when I first became a researcher, mutilations. Now, is there any validity to that? I don't know, but it rang with me, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm on the I'm on the fence about a bunch of the Corso stuff. I'm on the fence about it. Like, I'm on the fence about a number of things in the field of, of quote-unquote ufology. Like, I'm on the fence about a lot of stuff in the paranormal world. I mean, there, there's... I know there are a lot of people that think that, you know, I draw these snap conclusions about things, but I don't. If people knew more about the things I've experienced, they, they'd understand me a little better. Sadly, I'm not in a position where, at this point, I want to talk about more of my stuff in terms of my personal paranormal experiences. But I think that if people understood and if they knew, they, they would appreciate why, like I, I said, I, I get so harsh about certain things, but then at the same time, I'm I'm kind of confused by a lot of this stuff because it seems like David, is, my friend, there are many layers. Are there are not, many layers. You are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone, yeah. my friend. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, well, but this is the thing about when I hear people say, you know, this is what the quote-unquote UFOs are. This is where they come from. This is what they want. I say, really? You think you know that? I mean, I was just having a talk with somebody yesterday about this, and if I mentioned who I was talking to. People would say, what? You're talking to him? I was talking to a rather controversial character in this field. And interestingly enough, we both agree that it's very likely, in fact, it's more than likely, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, that the real reason for secrecy around this topic, and, I, and again, I, I know I'm like repeating myself, and I've said this on this show before, but the, the real reason for the secrecy is that the, the factions within our government that have some handle on this know, they know that what we know is very little. And they can't reveal this because people would, would indeed be very uncomfortable, I think, hearing that, all right, yeah, there are these things in the air, there are these things flying under the ocean, uh, flying from the air into the ocean. We have no ability to track them, really. We certainly can't outfly them. We don't know how to get them out of the sky. We have no control over the situation. We're absolutely submissive in this dynamic. We don't know what they're doing here. We don't know what they are. We don't know. What we, what we don't know fills a book. What we do know is that we can't outfly them. We can't control them. We don't really have control over our airspace. The, the military is not going to come out and admit that. It's never going to happen. So, Gene, what do you say? I tend to think that the worst part of it is how can a government, any government, admit there are things are flying willy-nilly in our skies and they haven't a damn clue about it. They have no idea what's going on out there. There is no contact between Earthlings and ET. We're not doing exchange programs. We don't know what's going on. Now, as far as reverse engineering, if Roswell is true, 
and we did capture a crashed UFO, we haven't got a clue as to how to figure out anything but a few basics, maybe a few basic things we can kind of figure out. But it's kind of like somebody 500 years ago looking at today's iPhone and figuring out what it is and what it does. Can't happen. That's, I think, part of the problem. And the government can't admit that. At the same time, I'm sure there are secret things going on. Wasn't it Donald Rumsfeld who said several years ago that several trillion dollars had disappeared? Duh. Well, that was like on September 11th. He said that like the day before. No, September uh, 10th is, I believe, when he uttered those words, that there were trillions of dollars you know, missing uh, from the <clears throat> military budget. Now, okay, so where is that going? What are they doing with it? Hmm. Well, Who you knows? Maybe a bunch of people got very rich. Well, no, but maybe a bunch of people just stole the fucking money. Hey, well, yeah, so a bunch a of couple, people got really rich off this stuff. A few years ago, I came across a story. It was apocryphal, and I'm going to say that right up front. This story was apocryphal, but it came from somebody that I knew that I respected. And it's going to sound almost science fiction, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that right up front. But everybody knows who the NSA is, right? No such agency. Okay, NSA, no such agency. And if you've been doing your homework, you know that the NSA have their finger on the pulse of all electronic communications. Back when there were just telephones and fax machines, they could intercept that. Today, computers, cell phones, my God, you name it. If they want to listen in, they can. And this person told me that I believe it was Goldstone, and I'm not sure about that, but a huge telescopic array, radio telescopic array, had been pointed out there, okay, listening. The implication was that apparently someone somewhere had some kind of intelligence that they were listening, not for a radio signal per se, but for something within our own solar system. Now, for what it's worth, I ran that article, and I got, and this was back in in UFO magazine, of course, I got a lot of letters and emails about that. That seemed to resonate with the people that read the article. But... I've always wondered about that. It would only make sense if any of this stuff is real, that they must have a presence within our solar system, perhaps as close as the moon and Mars. And they are being monitored to the best ability that we have that we can monitor them. Now, what do you guys think about that? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, Don, was it you that told me about William Bramley's The Gods of Eden? Yes. All right. So... I just started reading that. I just took that out from the library. I'm, I'm somebody that they know me over at my public library pretty well at this point. I'm constantly taking books out from there. So I signed out The Gods of Eden, and, I, and I've been reading it. I, I, I'm probably about, I don't know, 10% of my way into the book, probably like the first 50 pages. Fascinating book, by the way. Thank you for that recommendation. You're I'm, welcome. I'm guessing that Bramley kind of goes in that direction, right? I mean, it, it, he... And, and it's not, it doesn't seem to me like he's got an original position about this. Maybe he reveals aspects of it that are original to his work. But um, it's funny. People say, well, gee, what, why would anybody be interested in, in this planet, right? You know, why, why would they come here? This is, we're in some 
little sort of back alley where we're kind of off in the boonies, even in this galaxy. And I think there's good reason to believe, I think there's very good reason to believe that in more densely, in parts of the galaxy where the star concentration is denser, where you've got older stars, you probably very likely have a higher possibility or even probability of advanced civilizations. Just because if you have an older star system, you have stars that are closer to one another than where we are in, in our part of the galaxy, in, in this Milky Way, that it's very likely that there's a good amount of interplanetary interactions. Because, I mean, we see how just if you take the Earth as a microcosm of what is out there, you know, look at the diversity of species on this planet. Look at the insane amount of life on this planet. Look at how all of the different nation states of this planet interact with one another. I, I don't think there's any reason not to believe that's going on on an interplanetary and interstellar level. I think that, that to me, that's pretty obvious. If you, if you look at that and then you look at the, again, back to the diversity of species on this planet, the incredible array of life. Edward O. Wilson has stated that we are not aware, we have not yet discovered the vast majority of species that inhabit this planet, A. B, the fossil record is incredibly incomplete. The, the conditions by which fossils form are so specific that it's very likely that the majority of species of creatures that have lived on this planet that are now extinct, we still don't know about. So, so when you take that into consideration, I think it's a very good likelihood, a very good possibility that this planet is treated as a genetic bank for other species. Today, the great fear is Al-Qaeda. Americans across the nation fear another 9-11 type attack by fanatics using nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. Yet the little known fact is Al-Qaeda is practically an American intelligence creation. In the 1980s, we armed, trained, and supplied the very same people who today are going to destroy this country. The weapon that we pointed at the Soviet Union came back to haunt and hunt America. This is the story about another weapon that American intelligence procured in the fight against the communists. A biological weapon that turned itself against the very people who tried to harness and then use it. It escaped and now not only are the weapons handlers at risk, but every human being on the planet because the men in power forgot one very important fact. When you ask the double to dance, he always calls the tune. Past Sins, a novel of supernatural horror. Sometimes there really are scary things in the dark. Go to www.pastsins.net. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. 
Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. We are back with my special guests, Gene Steinberg, David Biedney. Guys, right before we had to go to break, David had a fascinating take on what possibly may be lying further toward the center of our galaxy where stars are denser. Likely, if there are other civilizations, they would probably be more prevalent there than out here in the boondocks where we are. But let me throw something else at you. And this is something that I, over the years, have argued with a number of people about. And I'd like to get your take on it. I don't think anybody can ever argue the fact that humanity is an aggressive species. Hmm. We are, since we climbed out of the primordial soup, we've scrambled and fought to establish our place in this hierarchy of life. Now, taking that into account and looking at just human civilization, when a civilization develops, they begin to grow, they become more wealthy, they can afford it, they explore. Now, they explored for a lot of reasons over the many thousands of years we've been here. They've explored for food sources, for sources of wealth, for things like taking women I mean, just look at humanity's history. Now, is it any reason to believe that extraterrestrials would be any different from that respect? Now, in 100, less than 100 years from the time we first achieved flight at Kitty Hawk in 1903 to landing on the moon, I mean, it was virtually an eye blink. We did it. We were aggressively pursuing the dream of going into outer space. Someday, providing we don't destroy ourselves, I think that's going to also include going out to the stars. The same thing with extraterrestrials. Do you think a civilization that is not aggressive could have achieved that? Gene? Well, I think that maybe this aggression might be part and parcel of any advanced species that we have to stand up above the pack. And that helps us to achieve great things, but also helps us do horrible wrongs. And I think the pinnacle of our success is reached when we learn how to cope with both extremes. And if we do that, our civilization could likely survive and go to the stars. But, but what I was what I was sure. getting at is is people like, for example, Dr. Stephen Greer, that automatically assumes, and people like probably Dr. Sala, that these extraterrestrials have only the highest regard for humanity, and they are only coming here to bestow gifts upon us from their advanced technology and culture. I think that's a pretty naive way to look at this situation. It's wishful thinking. It's bad wishful thinking because if the... ETs, one or more of them, were of hostile intent, it could be like the TV series V, where the aliens come here to bestow gifts upon us, and they're really evil creatures who want to do us harm, want to take us over. And people like Dr. Greer and Dr. Salar are the kind of people who'd fall for their nonsense. We don't know what their motives are. Their motives may be things that we cannot understand. 
how do we even presume to be presumptuous enough to know what an alien civilization might be planning, how it lives, its set of morals, its set of ethics? How do we know? We don't. That was my point. <laughs> sure, that's the point. That's the whole key. I don't see we have any way of knowing that. We would like to think that they want to do us no harm. And that might be fine. Or we might be just, you know, a mound of insects to them. How do you know? David, what do you think about that? Well, again, at, at sort of the risk of repeating myself, because I, I think we've talked about this a bunch on the show. But, but if we haven't, my intuition is that we can learn from the ants on Earth. Clearly, much more successful as a species than humans. They, their biomass is twice ours. They outweigh us two to one. There are many more of them than there are humans on the planet. They're a much older species than humans. They're incredibly strong creatures. They're incredibly efficient. I think that they make maximum use of their environment. What, what I suspect is that, and, and we see this as humans who, you know, highly individualistic, highly emotional, uh, very creative, but yet really kind of unconstrained in their emotional dynamic. Um, I think that it's probably very likely that species that play out like ours is playing out tend to destroy themselves as where a very caste oriented uh, species. Let's say if, if you had the ants evolved to the point where they were advanced sentient beings with a very strong caste system with a de-emphasis on individuality and more of a prioritization of the collective. I think that that combination is probably much more successful in exploiting technological advances and migrating off a planet. This is my intuition. So my guess, based on what I've read about some of the species that seem to be interacting with humans, my guess is that they probably would fall more into the category of this very caste-oriented, a very non-individualistic kind of an approach to things where they probably see emotions as liabilities. They probably see a lot of what we would call creativity as not really having much of a purpose. I think, and, and when you start to look into certain cases and you start to look into certain uh, descriptions of, of people's interactions with these things, the more credible ones, it seems to support this vision. And you know, this explains why there's sort of a, of a superiority attitude of these things towards us, because very likely that they are much more intellectually involved than, than we are. And they lack that, or they seem to lack, again, not, not globally, universally, but for the most part, there seems to be much less of an emphasis on the emotional component of these beings, because I suspect that those emotions are essentially the thing that, like I said, tends to make a civilization or a species self-destruct early on. Well, so, that's a rather sterile and very horrifying thought, suppressing all individuality. I, I don't know. Humans are not designed like that. I know that. But, but I think that ultimately, when you play out this model over a long, over a long amount of time, what you end up with with, this, with species that are highly emotional, you end up with species that destroy themselves early on, where basically the technology 
outpaces their ability to deal with it, to integrate it into their societies. I mean, again, we're seeing this now. And and if I had to guess, and who, who the hell knows what the truth is, but if I had to guess, it would be my guess that that's a big part of the interest that this planet presents to extraterrestrial species, assuming that they are coming here and watching us. It's kind of like, here we are, a planet that is reaching a very critical point where, yes, we do have the ability of destroying ourselves. I don't think we have the ability of destroying the planet. I think that's human ego at play and vanity that we can somehow destroy a planet to me is laughable. I don't think we can destroy this planet at all. I think that we can destroy ourselves and then the planet will bounce back. I think that's very, very likely. And so here we are at this tipping point and we are at this tipping point. People basically want to make believe we're not. They they just want to live their little lives of consumption and self-interest and self, self-centeredness. self But the bottom line is that it does indeed appear that we are at this very crucial point in our history as a species, which, by the way, I'm very happy to be alive now because it is really fascinating to watch all this and to participate in it. But I suspect that there's an interest, academic interest almost, in uh, on the part of these species that are looking in and watching this sort of to see how it will play out. But this idea that they would then actively intervene to somehow save us. I think that's total wish fulfillment. I think that's, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a childish fantasy in a way. And it amazes me that people who are supposed to be relatively older, smarter people buy into that nonsense. I think it's kind of like a reversion to, to childhood tendencies. You know, oh, mommy and daddy will save me. It's like, no, you'll save yourself or you'll go down because that's how the real world works. You know, this is what you find in, in certainly in the UFO field is that there are a lot of these people that come in that are playing out these delusional fantasies because they can play them out here because you don't have to present any kind of hard evidence because in many cases there is no hard evidence to present with this stuff. Nobody's you know, no no witness of a UFO has what appears to be a highly verified piece of a UFO. No one's got the smoking gun evidence, really. I mean, there are people who claim to, but the bottom line is that no individual appears to have this. So at that point, all you need is a good story, and people love a good story. So I think that's why you've got these people kind of coming in saying, you know, this is what it is. And and I don't think that's the case at all, and I think that ultimately their egos don't allow them to explore what is very likely the actual truth behind this stuff. One thing is also served, too, as part of the psyche of many people is they want to know someone has an answer. You don't want to tell them there are no answers, there are no solutions. So if someone comes forth and says, I know the answer, I know what E.T. is all about, here's the reason, and even better, if you want to know the answer, I will sell you the information for $900 for my special course, etc., etc., etc. And the key is here is they act like a religion. They provide comfort to people who are concerned, who do feel anxiety, but that's just a way of taking advantage of us. Simply another way of saying there are a hell of a lot of con artists out there. Oh, oh yeah. You know, here's something that I have heard and I laugh at. i got to tell you, I laugh at it. Oh, you're just into that to get famous and make money. Well, you know what? I've been in this field professionally since 1988. And I don't know about the famous part, but I can tell you there sure as hell is no money, at least when you try to do it the straight way. Yeah. Well, as we recall here, John Keel and Richard Hall died pretty much in poverty. They had no money at the end. 
they seldom earn any decent paydays. John Keel, maybe he got a decent advance for the movie The Mothman Prophecies. But that went pretty quickly, I understand. Richard Hall, well-known in the field for 40, 50 years or so. He had no money at the end. No, he sure didn't. The No Neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies, and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is One and One Internet. One and One Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on One and One Internet to get online and stay online. Right now, One and One Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, One and One Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We're going to shut this thing down in the next 30 minutes. My name is Don Ecker, Gene Steinberg, David Biedney joining me for this basic chewing the fat session about the UFO field. Guys, you too, and believe me, I know from whereas I speak, having experienced it myself many times over the years, you guys have especially recently taken a lot of abuse because of your approach to this topic. I guess you're supposed to jump on every bandwagon that comes down the street, get on board and cheer and, and yell and wave your arms, uh, but you don't do that. What you guys have done, and I've, I've listened to many of your shows, i got to tell you, I, I strictly admire the way you two have approached this topic. Now, what is your bottom line as far as I heard David some time ago talking about being open, going online, people attacking you, and nobody likes that, let's be real honest. But David, you seem to develop a very thick skin, at least from this aspect of it, going after the people that are telling questionable stories. And I'm trying to be nice now. Yeah. Uh, Instead of calling them outright liars, frauds, and bullshit artists, but you've, you've, you and Gene have both gone after these people and you've suffered for it. What, what's your bottom line, my friend? You know, who cares? Uh, and, and this is what I've come to sort of feel about this. How many of these people who were doing this stuff, the Salas and the Harrises and the Bassets and the Greers, how many of them have actually 
actually seen an actual UFO. I know Greer makes all of these claims. I don't believe any of his bullshit. I watched Paula Harris at a, at a conference say she's never seen a UFO. And then I watched her at another thing say, oh, yeah, I've seen a few UFOs. Gee, I don't know. There's a little flexibility with the truth there, eh? Sala, I, I, I asked him on uh, uh, one of the threads of one of his bullshit articles, have you ever seen a UFO? Didn't respond. Bassett has admitted he's never seen a UFO. So from my point of view, being attacked by people who have really no vested interest in the topic. And by the way, I'm totally open to the idea that there are people who have not seen UFOs who are fascinated by this stuff. Absolutely. But at the same time, when you have people who, again, they probably haven't really seen anything, again, with Greer, the, the crap that's come out of him, I just, I don't believe anything the guy says. And I think I have good reason for not believing him. So I look at these other people, and, you know, for me, they're, they're wannabes. They basically, they haven't had any experiences. They haven't seen any weird stuff. So I question their motives, and ultimately, their opinions are qualified in my eyes as not being very informed ones. And, and this is the thing that, you know, it's funny, talking about kind of the online interaction and calling out bullshit artists, Don. This is something I had been doing in high tech for years. I had a reputation of being a very hard reviewer of computer hardware and software. And, and there, were, there were specific products that appeared on the market with huge amounts of hype and nonsense and people going, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'd be like the one lone voice out there saying, you know, if you look into the people behind this product, look into the realities of this product. I mean, there's one product in specific, and, and Gene is aware of this, of this piece of software. And, and, and I created a huge amount of controversy in the high-tech field with this thing called Live Picture. And, and it's a, again, it's a story that's way beyond the scope of this show, but essentially I was like the one lone voice out there saying, the people who are representing this to be a certain thing, they're not trustworthy, they're bullshitting people, they're fleecing people. And you better believe that after, what, two or three years, this thing went from being a $3,200 cure for cancer to essentially being blown out in catalogs for like 49 bucks to get rid of the boxes. And as a matter of fact, barely being a bottle of aspirin. Yeah. Yeah. So this was something that I had gone through in the high tech field for years. And I had a stellar reputation and still do in the high tech industry as being someone who is not afraid to call products out for what they do and don't do real well. So, you know, coming into this stuff, I brought that same attitude. And here's the thing, because on the show, people have accused us of calling people out when nobody has evidence. You know, nobody has evidence. Why do you believe certain people versus other people? And it comes down to internal logic and integrity. You know, when people come on and say, this is my opinion, I think this, this, and this are going on, I'm not sure... But this is what I think. Hey, everybody's got their opinion. That's fine. But when people come on and say, this is the way it is, these creatures are coming here and they are having some sort of political exchange with us at the highest levels, and I know this, and they have free energy and they will give it to us, I know this. Well, yeah, that's the threshold. When people claim to have the answer or the answers to this stuff and they have nothing to back it up but, you know, well, trust me, I know. Well, that's it. We're done. Because, I, I mean, I heard that in high tech. It's so many times people saying, this is the greatest product ever. Trust me. It's like, mm, 
No, my brain still works. I can see what this is. And what you're doing is you're selling uh, a promise that ultimately won't pan out. I think I can cut through all that and just knock it down to a couple of three or four words. And it was on a poster in Agent Mulder's office on the X-Files. It comes down to, I want to believe. Now, I've seen this so many times over the years that all logic, all common sense goes right out the window when it comes to, I want to believe. I did a uh, one of my exposés back in the 90s. I did on a guy in the UFO field by the name of Guy Kirkwood, who also go, goes by or went by the name of Mel Noel. And he had another name, Noel Bryce Cornwall. This was a guy who claimed, and he was in Tim Good's book, Above Top Secret, to have been a, an Air Force interceptor pilot based in Utah in the early 50s, 1954, part of a squadron that was tasked to go up and photograph UFOs in their F-86 Sabre jets. This guy was absolutely out to lunch, had a long history of hoaxing the whole nine yards. Why did this expose on it? And i got to say, I'm not the only guy over the years that has exposed this fellow. And another UFO researcher by the name of of, uh, Bill Hamilton, William Hamilton, just really went to war and savaged me over this and uh, accused me of getting my facts wrong. <laughs> and when I finally pinned the guy down and demanded to know what is it I got wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first person to apologize. Well, you got his middle name wrong. Oh, geez. And I said, I said, man, <laughs> how would you know, even if I was wrong, I'm not, how would you know with a guy with that many names? And the bottom line was, I want to believe. I want to believe this story because this story was great. This story was exciting. And and it really made me, you know, it made me tingle when I heard this story. And I knew the guy, Mel Noel. I knew him. He was a charming, really charismatic con artist. That was the bottom line. He was mm-hmm. basically harmless, but it was all BS. The whole thing was BS. So, you know, I, I don't ever see that aspect of this changing. Do either of you? Well, I've been following the ups and downs of the UFO field since the 1950s when I was very, very, very young. And it goes up, but it goes down. And we just keep repeating the same old mistakes. Exactly. That we did 40, 50, 60 years ago. And we have the lunatic fringe that existed then. We have a lunatic fringe that existed in the 1970s. We have today's lunatic fringe, the exopolitics people. And to me, it's all the same thing. No difference. All right. Here's another question for both of you. Why do we bother? Well, I'll answer that from my point of view. Having seen what I've seen, having experienced what I've experienced, the human part of me is compelled to want to understand it. With the awareness that it's most likely that my understanding of this will probably not move beyond the point where it's at now. But, you know, some people obsess over baseball. Some people obsess over uh, celebrities. I obsess over certain types of technology. I don't obsess with this stuff, but, you know, here's the thing. I I know, I mean, you brought up David Sarita at the opening of the show, right? And there's a guy who's gone batshit insane. I mean, he's just lost his mind. He's nuts. Hey, and, wait and, a minute. And, David, David, what? David. Now, wait a what? minute. I want you to tell us what you really mean. This is not a show where you're going to couch your words. No. 
no, the guy's fucking crazy. He's just lost his mind. And and this all, I mean, didn't all come out of, but I have to imagine that some amount of it is a result of one UFO sighting in Berkeley when he was a kid. He saw one UFO, and from that, he, like, knows how they move between the galaxies. You know, whatever. I mean, the guy snapped like a, like a, like a stale pretzel, okay? But I see what it's done, that, like, one episode, probably, and God knows what else happened to him in his life, that, like, made him insane, right? But I know that, based on what I've been through, and what I've seen, and what little I've talked about on the show, at this point, if, I have, if I'm not completely out of my mind, I'm doing okay. I mean, truly, I, the stuff I've seen, I think, for a lot of people, and I'm not trying to put myself in some kind of rarefied strata here that I'm, you know, Mr. Superman. I'm certainly not. I am a frail <laughs> human being fraught with all sorts of shit. That's my deal. But I know that based on what I've experienced, based on what I've seen, and I'll give you a little clue about this, okay? And this is something that, this is probably the only time I'll ever bring this up. Just in the last week, I've been communicating with an old friend of mine from Venezuela, who these days is a very well-known musician in certain circles. I mean, very high-end, very well-known guy. And he was a great musician when we were kids. Now he's like world-class kind of stuff, okay? There is a series of experiences that span over eight months we were just talking about this. I called him up. We reconnected through Facebook. I called him up. We were just talking last week, and I said, do you remember this stuff? And we were going through it, and he's like, man, I haven't thought about this in like 20-something years. And he remembered a lot more details than I did. And again, this is stuff that was going on over eight months. And he said to me, you know, I haven't thought about this stuff in a while, but now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it. He's like, what the fuck was that all about? What was going on? And I said, you know, I don't know. And, and, and I'm glad that you remember this the way I do. And in fact, he remembered details that I didn't remember, and I remember details that he re didn't remember. And by the end of the hour-long phone conversation, we were both, like, gasping for air, going, what the hell is this all about? So the point is that when this now, stuff let me Let me get this straight. I, yeah. I take it, I take it that what you're referring to, although you did not yet come out and say it, was a UFO experience. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Oh, no. Nothing that straightforward. Mm -mm. Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. This is far more involved than things flying in the sky. This right. is much deeper, much more involved. Again, this is the stuff that, I mean, honestly, this is like probably the one time I'll bring this up on, on this show ever. Because it is so incredibly out there. It is so intensely weird. I mean, he doesn't talk about this stuff with anybody. I mean, I, I called him up. We started talking. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, he's like uh, practically gasping for I'm telling you, by the end of the call, we're both like, uh, we're both sort of hyperventilating. And we're going through this stuff. And we're reliving parts of this. And it's one of these things where when this kind of stuff has intersected with your life, you, I mean, for so many years, I didn't think about this stuff for so or, many years. Or in line with a paranormal experience? Yeah. yeah, but it's not an experience. It's a whole framework. It's really, really odd stuff. Really weird. So the point is, when this stuff intersects with your reality, at a certain point, it kind of reaches an overflow point where you, you can't ignore it anymore. And so I, I guess for me, I reached a point where, you know, I had been sort of 
bottling this stuff up, suppressing all of it. And, and there's a lot of stuff. I mean, people who listen to the Paracast know that just the stuff I've talked about on the show with co-witnesses, co-experiencers, we've got full-body apparition, we've got UFO stuff, big, huge UFO sighting, and we've got, with my friend Jamie, an episode of Game Time, extremely weird. Those are the three things I've talked about with co-witnesses. So, you know, not personal stuff, stuff where there were other people there seeing what I saw who came onto the show with their real names and backed me up because they underwent these things along with me. So just that stuff is all over the map. And, and really, guys, I mean, honestly, and I'm not trying to, like, play tea. I'm not, like, doing some kind of stupid Whitley Strieber, like, tease shtick here. I'm bringing this up so people can, can have some appreciation for the fact that I'm, like, grappling with this in my life. I mean, this is stuff that I don't have answers for. I have I have so many questions, and I, I don't have a lot of understanding for a lot of this stuff. And it, it's almost as if, you know, Gene's saying to me, hey, let's, like, why don't we, like, do a show about this stuff? And And at first, I mean, I was just really hesitant, and I thought, maybe it'll feel good to talk about some of this. Maybe there'll be... Some you know, maybe like I've said on the show before, it'll be cheaper than therapy, and you know. Yeah, I, but I he hasn't gotten my bill yet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm not going to pay it. I'll pay you in pennies, motherfucker. Well, that's okay. Uh, I'll take it any way you send I'll, it. You'll take the pennies. All right, make them 1922 pennies. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, no. I, look, th- this is why I feel like I want to talk about it because, look, there is something certainly in terms of UFOs. There is something going on, A. B, there are some people that seem to know a lot more than others. C, there's a ton of people out there that are just spewing crap. And D, I take that personally because, like I said before, when they spew crap on this stuff, they make it so difficult to talk about these things in a rational way. And I want to talk about them. And look, maybe at some point I'll end up regretting all of this. There are times now when, when I regret it. You know, there have been some interactions with people behind the scenes that I've deeply regretted. But what are you going to do? I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm in my mid-40s. Do I want to suppress this stuff anymore? No, I, I think these things have happened to me personally for some sort of a reason. Now, I could be wrong about that, but, but I sort of know I'm not. And, and this is where things get, you know, murky and complicated. Well, you know what they say, pal. Sometimes yeah. shit just happens. Yes, but when you've interacted with the unknown in the way that I have, there seems to be some sort of purpose to it. And I don't pretend to know what the purpose is. I don't know. And we're talking about ongoing things. So I don't know. I have a lot of questions. And, you know, in doing the show, there are certain people I've talked to that have have helped me through some of this, both on air and off. There are certain people who have certainly written. I mean, Gene and I get a tremendous amount of email from people. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. 
That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Okay, we are back to close this talk fest up. David, go. Fuck the break. Fuck the break. <laughs> Excuse me, let me get Maxwell's silver hammer and take care of this. Doom, 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 doom. What the hell was I saying? We have to talk about these things. Look, look, someone's got to have the rational discourse about this stuff. Someone's got to do it, so we might as well do it. No one else seems to be doing it, so why don't we do it? Someone should do this because, like I was saying before, before the break that we didn't fuck, um, we get a tremendous amount of email for every for every person that puts us down, that gives us shit, that you know says that I am Godzilla, uh, uh, Joe McCarthy, blah blah blah. For every one of those people, there are ten people who email us saying, "Thank you, thank you for doing this, thank you for your integrity, thank re- thank you for your passion about this, thank you for being honest about this stuff, thank you for not putting up with." obvious bullshit thank you for asking hard questions thank you for being like the only guys that are doing this and you know what that keeps me going what about eugene that's what keeps me going i've never seen a ufo i've had some peripheral experiences that might relate to the paranormal through my life but i see around me people who have had strange things happening to them and i think it represents a larger reality that we don't understand i want to get to the bottom of it and because I started out in this life, in my working life as a journalist, I want to investigate, find out what is happening, or at least do my best to find out what's happening, and separate the wheat from the chaff, bring the authentic information that can be verified, and expose the hoaxers. Well, you know, I've been doing this so long, and of course I'm not doing it now, per se. But Well, you're semi-doing it. Semi, maybe. But, you know, I mean, as far as talking about it, yes. As far as active investigation, writing, no, not so much. But my point is, very seldom over the years has anybody ever come up to me and said, you know, hey, thanks for uh, what you're what you're doing, what you're trying to do. So I, I envy that with you with you two guys. I, I'm more apt to. Uh, get a lot of hate and, you know, you're a skeptic, you're a debunker, what the hell's the matter with you? You know, uh, the, I heard the CIA set you guys, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, and actually, it, it becomes somewhat humorous. Most recently, I've caught a lot of hate and discontent because of a couple of episodes that I've done with you guys on your, on your talk show, because I've dared to speak the truth. I've been uh, denigrated by, you know, a number of folks. Uh, it's just all part of the cost of doing business. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We love having you on the show, man. And and personally, I'm I'm just thrilled that you've sort of made the Paracast sort of a home base for what you're doing now. Because from what I can see, you're a wacky guy, but your heart's in the right place, and you don't you don't put up with the bullshit. And I, for one, and I know Gene feels the same way. We really appreciate that. You know, it seems like people like yourself are very rare in this quote unquote field. So thank you. What well, is amazing is that 
as we've done this show, we've met people like Don Ecker, and I've known Don Ecker peripherally for a long time, but we never really connected that much. We never talked that much. I think we've talked a lot more since we became reacquainted through the show, and I'm glad we have a good friend there. And we do have people like Don Ecker and Frank Warren and so many others who are good friends, who understand what we're about. They're really in sync with us. Maybe we disagree on little odds and ends about things, but their hearts are in the right place. They're sincerely interested in doing responsible work in this field, and we're glad they found a home on the Paracast, and we welcome them with open arms. Well, if you get right down to it, there is really no other place where you can come in for civil discourse discussing these topics. Almost every other spot that I've seen and experienced over the years you know, it invariably will break down into flaming and yelling accusations. I mean, it just becomes chaotic, and, and chaos is the result. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen because of the, basically, the intelligence quotient of the majority of people that frequent the Paracast. I, I've got to say, you guys are really blessed with the quality of the majority of folks that come on and use your your uh, system. There's just no getting around it. We're very thrilled, for the most part, with the discourse going on the forums. You, know, you go and look at other forums that are out there. And actually, my favorite thing is you go, go on YouTube and go dig up any video and then look at the user comments on YouTube. Oh, my God. I mean, you, you would think that basically Neanderthals have taken over the Earth. It, it is truly bad out there. And most of the forums devoted to these topics, they're just not a whole lot better. I'm, you know, I can't say enough about our forum members. Uh, I think you're right, Don. I think we have the best forum members ever. Well, the thing that I've always admired is the level of, mostly the level of discourse and the thoughtful comments and remarks that uh, so many of those, those users uh, come up with. You have some really intelligent people. Hold on, I hear somebody saying, uh-oh, they're patting themselves on the back. Oh, they're just talking about themselves. There they go. They're so self-involved. They're so self... They're, they're wrapped up in themselves. Look, look, they're kissing each other's asses. Look, look, we don't like them because they suck. Well, you know, sucking asses, baby, we don't dig it. Life, life is a bitch and then you die. Uh, that's right. I mean, that's the bottom line. <laughs> well, guys, you know, we, we are almost out of time with this special crossover episode. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes to go. Gene, do you have any last words? Uh, a lot of people, I think, are going to be very surprised when they hear this show. Uh, this is going to catch them off guard unawares. Yeah, I do. You guys have never done anything like this before. I think this is going to be quite an amazing uh, episode for a lot of people. I am not the person who likes to be interviewed. I am interviewed occasionally, but I prefer to be the interviewer because it gives me the power. You know, if you like that phrase in that movie, Bruce Almighty, I've got the power, and you don't have power if you're being interviewed. You have to answer somebody else's questions. You can't predict the kind of questions that you're being asked. I look back at the three and a half some odd years that we've done the Paracast, and it's been an amazing journey because I didn't expect anything. David and I expected nothing. And then we look at our message boards. We've got, what, 66, 67,000 messages. 
67,000 messages. Oh, and we just went over 2,000 registered members. Registered members means these are people, not just listeners, but people who took the time to go to the message board and not just read it, which anybody can do, but sign up and say, we want to participate. Oh, a few have been banned. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. And a few more will be banned in the future, I'm sure. Oh, that's well, right. what are you what are you going to do? I mean, uh, as much as everybody loves a free society, there've got to be rules, and uh, a lot of people don't like rules. But you know what? That's what keeps the entire thing sane, mm-hmm. and especially when you're talking about subject material like this that can so often go insane. It is also our sandbox. We own the sandbox, David and I, so we reserve the right to set the rules. And we do have rules. We have a terms of service. But frankly speaking, I think we are more lenient than a lot of people. We let people go a little off on the edge every so often. When they go too far, then we say, stop it. Now is the time to get things straightened out or goodbye. And there's nothing wrong with that, guys. Nothing no. at all. You've got to keep things somewhat reasonable. I mean, you know, and then... I'll get into some kind of weird funk and start to type crazy messages. I haven't done that in a while. Hey, this is a hell of a time to ask you a question, pal. What? And it just struck me. Just struck me. David, I've been meaning to ask you this for about two or three years. A couple of years ago, we were talking about one of our... This is a great way to end the show, too, by the way. We were talking about one of our favorite Internet freaks... On the oh, board. no, don't do it, don't do it. Cal Corf. Oh, Jesus. And I he heard us now. By the way, this is oh. it. We're going to get 10,000 pieces oh, of spam from hey, Prague. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is All right, go ahead. I had stated something up on the board. Suddenly, out of the blue, I get this message from you saying, I don't think you're Decker. I think you're Cal Corf's slutty sister. <laughs> and then you banned me. You banned me. <laughs> and I tried to come back on the board, and I got to tell you, pal, I got pissed off. I wrote. Did I Gene. do that? Really? Yeah, you really did. Mm-hmm. And I wrote Gene, and I said, Gene, what the hell's going on with Vietnam? And Gene came back, oh, I don't know, but you're not banned. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and what the hell was the deal with that, pal? I'm a loose cannon. I don't know. I'm just a loose cannon. Watch out. I've got to tell you something, Don. There are times, calm down, sir, okay? You know, good dog, good puppy. Um, There are times when David has me ban him temporarily. That's right. That's exactly right. That's true. I'd like, Jay, cut me off before I start deleting whole threads on here. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I just, like, lose it a little bit, you know. What can I say? (laughs) You know, he's not taking his meds not that day. You know, he doesn't take the meds. He doesn't take the Prozac ah, and the Cymbalta. He doesn't take any of that stuff, ladies keeps, and gentlemen. Keeps things now, interesting. Keeps things interesting. Sure, you know? sure. We have to have a loose cannon. Where would Dean Martin have been without Jerry Lewis? There you go. Hey. Lady, lady. There it is. Well, guys, we are out of time. And i got to tell you, this has been very informative. Two hours. I hope the listeners enjoy this special edition where I get to put you guys on the hot seat. Hey. This has been great. I appreciate the time. And, uh, fellas, uh, we're going to have to do this again. Oh, yeah, no burn us in effigy. No refunds and no exchanges. You get what you pay for, buddy. Do not fold, spindle, or mutilate. (laughs) This has been a special edition of Dark Matters Radio. First time heard live, so to speak, in the last couple of years. And... 
Dumb Paracast. My name has been Don Ecker, was, still is, I guess, and with me, Gene Steinberg, Dave Biedney. Until next time, guys, keep tuned in. Listen, will you? The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.